we'll begin there in chapter 5, there in verse 1. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. I'm sure you've noticed as we've went through this book that we've um, really covered uh, probably two main topics that may stick out to you the most. One is John uh, talking about uh, the Lord Jesus as he is the Son of God, uh, which is, of course, um, I think kind of goes along with uh the first book that he wrote, Big John, uh, there in the Gospels. So because what does John in the Gospels, what does it do? It, it speaks of Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, and so that's kind of in these books, in the smaller books in First John, we can kind of very see the kind of the same aspect where he's coming to the people, telling them that Jesus is the Son of God. And so he's kind of uh, bouncing back on the other book that he has written there in the Gospels, uh, as he talks about Jesus as the Son of God, doing the very same thing here. And so that has been uh, 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 one of the themes of the book of 1 John. But not only has uh, one of the themes of 1 John been that Jesus is the Son of God, but it's also uh, talked about uh, the love of God and how you can't love God and not love Jesus too, and talking about their unity together. Uh, And that's also what... Uh, that is also one of the things that uh, John in the Gospels does. It uh, links God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit together. It talks about the love of God. Of course, we have said it many times already, John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world, and then so forth and so on, and many other verses uh, in the book of John that's ta- that talks about God's love. Uh, and so we see in John in the Gospels, and then we see here in 1 John, uh, how these books go hand in hand and really coming about with some of the same topics, the same ideas, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that, uh, and that we understand what love is, and that we understand that we can't love God and not love the Son, and that we also understand that we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and that these three are one. Uh, and so that is uh, a lot of the subjects that we see throughout uh, the book of First John. As we begin here in verse 5, uh, I mean, chapter 5 and verse 1, we're going to kind of see the very same thing as, it's, uh, as John comes back to this theme about who Jesus is and uh, what we can actually accomplish uh, as uh, Christians who are saved. Uh, the power that we are able to have and some things that we can do. And, uh, and so as we begin there in chapter 5 and we look at verse 1, we notice uh, there that he says, "...whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ..." is born of God, and everyone that loveth him, that beget, loveth him also, that is begotten of him. And you look at that verse and you say, well, what did he just say? I mean, it looks like you got your tongue wrapped around your teeth or something. I mean, what did he just say? Well, I'm going to break it down into Pastor Brian's layman terms and, and, uh, and maybe it'll make it, maybe it'll make maybe a little bit more sense of it. What he's in essence saying is that whoever loves God has to love Jesus too. Now that's how you pretty much break it down. But let's go through it and I'll show you. He says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, Christ being the Messiah, is born of God. Now, when he gets there to verse, and when he gets there to and, he says, and everyone that loveth him. Now who is him? Him is talking about God the Father. Everyone that loveth him that beget loveth him. Now, who's the second him? Him is Jesus Christ. 
And so he says, or, or, the, or God the Son. And so he says, And everyone that loveth him, God the Father, that beget, loveth him, God the Son, also that is begotten of him. Talking about the Lord. And so he's saying, in essence, he's saying, if you, if you love, whosoever loves God the Father also loves God the Son or needs to love God the Son, should love God the Son. That's what he's trying to say. Uh, and so you love the Father, you love the Son. That's pretty much been some of the theme that we've talked about already in chapter 4 and in previous chapters already that how can you love God and not love His Son too? You can't say that you love God the Father but don't believe in Jesus the Son. You can't say that you're in a relationship with God and that you're obedient to God and, and then turn around and say, well, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't believe He's a Savior. I don't, uh, I, I, I don't accept Him. And then turn around and say you love God the Father and that you're on your way to heaven because you can't do it. And Jesus said himself in the book of John, in the Gospels, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And so John's trying to wrap this thing up here in, in uh, this epistle, and he's telling the people once again, listen, you can't, love, you, can't, you can't love God the Father and say you don't have anything to do with the Son. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ... Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. And everyone that loves him, that beget, loveth him also that is begotten of him. So if you, if you love God the Father, then you also love him who has been begotten of God the Father. Does that make sense? And so that's what you see there in verse 1. So if you love God the Father, then you need to love God the Son. You can't separate the two. They go hand in hand. There in verse 2, he says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And so there in verse 1, we see that, <clears throat> excuse me, we see that he's talking about if you're saved, if, you, if, you're, if you're making a claim that you're a saved child of God, then you are not only going to accept God the Father, but you're going to take God the Son. And if you do this, he says, Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And the reason why you're born of God is because you have accepted the fact that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But you see, that was part of the problem that they were having back then, as we've stated already throughout the, uh, the epistles of 1 John, is that the people uh, and folks that had come in were teaching some foul doctrines that Jesus was not the Christ, that He was not the Messiah, that He was not the Son of God, but yet they claimed to have a relationship with God the Father and said, well, I'm on my way to heaven and, and we love God, and, but, we, you know, but we don't accept this Son. We don't accept this Jesus that you're talking about. And John's coming along and he's saying, listen, you can't do that. You can't, have, you can't say that you love God the Father and say that you have a relationship with Him and, say that, and at the same time saying you're not going to accept His Son. What did Jesus say in the Gospels? He said, I and the Father are what? We're one. I and the Father one. You can't have one without the other. And so John is trying to make sure that everybody understands that if, if you're saying that you love God the Father, the, God the, uh, the living God, if you're saying that you love Him and that you want to be obedient to Him, then you must also be the same way to His Son. You must be the same way. You can't accept one without the other. Uh, and so we see here, there as he gets down to verse 2, he says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. Now, how are we going to love the children of God? 
How are we going to love uh, God's people? How are we going to love God's people like we need to? The only way we're going to do it is, of course, we covered it in chapter 4, I believe, is whenever we are saved and the love of God is flowing from God because that's where it originates from and it's coming from God into us and out to, the, and out to everybody else. And we allow ourselves to be that channel or that funnel from God to Father to us uh, and then out into everybody else. And so there in verse 2 he says, By this we know that we love the children of God. How, how do we know we love the then we're going to love the children of God when we love God. That's how you're going to know. How, how are you going to be able to love other people like God loves them? The only way you're going to love them uh, like the only way you're going to be able to love them like God loves them is when you love God like God loves you. Does that make sense? The only way you're going to be able to love other people like God loves them is when we love God like God loves us. And so it's inseparable. As I said before, many times over, you can't give what you don't have. And so he says there in verse 2, by this, by this what? By the fact that we're saved, by the fact that we've accepted Jesus as the Son of God, by the fact that we love God the Father and, and that we love God the Son, because we do this, it allows us to have the ability to love other people like God loves them. Because I tell you what, and we talked about it already, sometimes that's not always easy. You ever, you ever come across some people that I tell you what, it didn't matter, it didn't matter how, how nice you tried to be, they were just difficult to get along with. And they were, I mean, they're just difficult people. I mean, they just people out there like that. Hey, listen, sometimes just personalities just clash, you know, and good people, they just, personalities don't get along, and that happens too. Now, we see that in the Bible too with them. Um, and I think in a couple instances with Barnabas and Paul and just issues that came up. Uh, doesn't mean either one of the men were bad. They just had different opinions and, and, had, and had some strife. Uh, but what we see, and I, I think, but what we see right here is that there, there is no way that we can love the children of God. And there's no way that we can love this world like God loves them unless we know what the, uh, the love of God is ourselves, unless we possess it, unless we have it ourselves. Uh, and so there in verse 2, he says, By this we know that we love the children of God. By what? When we love God. See, the very first thing that we have to do before we can treat other people the way they need to be treated is that we need to make sure that we have a love relationship with God. If everything tends to be right horizontally, then it tends to help things to work out even better. Uh, I mean, uh, if we have everything worked out vertically, it tends to make sure that everything else works out horizontally. Does that make sense? So when we can stay right like this, it's easier to, uh, uh, it plays a big part in how we can stay good like this. Uh, and so, uh, the very first thing that we have to do is that we have to love God. And not just, this isn't a worldly love that, oh, I just love God. This is an agape love. I mean, God has equipped us. We got saved. And God has equipped us with an ability to love Him. To love Him. Not just, a, not just a, a, an ordinary love, but an ability to supernaturally and spiritually love God. Because we have a new nature within ourselves that has a desire to know more about who God is, to know more about His Son, to know more about the Holy Spirit, a nature inside of us that has a desire to, to live for Him and be conformed every day more into His image. And so there in verse 2, we see that we can love the children of God when we love God. That's the very first thing that we have to do is we have to make sure that we love God. Because listen, if you're not, if we don't make sure that we love God, 
like we need to and we're being obedient to him, then how in the world are we going to be able to love everybody else like they need to, like, like they should? There in verse 2, watch it now. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. And then you see that, that, uh, that comma there and he says, and keep his commandments. And you see the two are linked because, listen, if you love God, what are you going to by nature want to do? Keep his commandments, right? If you love God, then you're already going to have a, a, a desire in your heart, in your life, to do what he says to do, to live how he says to live. And so how does this whole thing start? Well, there in verse 1, the whole thing starts with the idea is that, listen, if you're going to love like you need to love, then, and, and you're going to be to other people, the children of God, like, or whether it's your uh, uh, folks in your church, whether it's your spouse or your friends, whoever it is, how am I going to love them like God wants me to love them if I don't know who Jesus is. I can't say that uh, I have a relationship with God and not accept his son. It's impossible. John's been proving that, telling that the whole time. And so what do we do? So we have to accept the God the Father. We accept God the Son. And when that happens, what, what takes place is, is, uh, is we now become a channel. We now become a, 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 a channel for God's love to flow through so that we can love other people like God loves them. And there in verse 2, he tells us, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. If you love God, you are going to automatically want to keep his commandments. Listen, if you don't love God and you don't care about God, then you're not going to care about keeping his commandments. I mean, I would say that's, uh, I would say that you don't have to have an intellectual degree to figure something like that out. I mean, if you don't like something, then uh, you're just by nature not going to want to have anything to do with it, right? And if you love something, then you're going to just uh, want to do everything you can to uh, be obedient to it, do everything you can. I mean, you'll uh, sacrificially or whatever it is, um, you're going to give yourself over to it. Why? Because you love it. Uh, but if you could care less about it, then uh, you're not going to have any kind of devotion to it. You're not going to have any kind of uh, interest in it or anything like that. Uh, and so that carries over in our relationships. That carries over, of course, in our church and everything else. But he says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. That's the first thing. You've got to love God first and keep his commandments. Verse 3. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So there in verse 3, he comes right out and he says, for, uh, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Now, how do we know, as I just said, how do we know ourselves, not uh, just what everybody, not just what we can make everybody see? I mean, because we can put on a show. I mean, there's lots of people that can put on a show and make everybody think that we love God, or make everybody think that we're saved, to make everybody think all these different kinds of things, you know. Uh, but when we examine ourselves and we look at ourselves, there, there in that verse, uh, there in that verse, in verse 3, uh, he says, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. So what does, well, how do we know that we love God the way we want to? Because He just said, because you have a desire to keep His commandments. Commandments. 
You have a desire to live for Him. You have a desire to be obedient to Him. There is a desire in your heart and life to do what it is that He says to do. And then we just read the latter part of that verse. And He says, and you know what? And the things that God's asked us to do, He says it isn't grievous to us. It isn't hurtful to us. It isn't harmful to us. Listen, if God wants us to do something, it's for our benefit, right? It's for our help. We don't have a God. We don't have a, a, a Savior that's out to, to hurt us and to harm us. And we don't have a Father in Heaven that wants the worst for us and is out to hurt us or harm us by no means neither. Now he says listen, he says his commandments are not grievous. If God wants you to do something then it's for your help, it's for your benefit. Uh, and, and there in verse 3 he says for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. How do you know for yourself not everybody else what they can see but yourself. How do you know for yourself that you love God the way you need to love God because you have a desire to be obedient to him. That is how you know that you love God the way you need. Now, I understand none of us is perfect, and probably none of us in here love God like we should. I mean, if we'll all be honest, I get it. But how do we know that we love God? Because we have a desire to keep His commandments. I think tonight the fact that y'all are here this evening uh, uh, is a testimony to yourself that you have a desire to be obedient to the Lord. That you have a desire to keep His commandments. You have The Bible says, for not forsaking out the assembling of yourselves together, as a matter of some is. Uh, but so much more as you see the day approaching. So there, the fact that you're here tonight is that there is a, is, a, is a testimony to the fact that there is a desire within your heart that you want to live for God, that you want to serve God, that you want to be obedient to God. And so, uh, and so we see right here, he says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And God says, you know, and, and the Bible says, and his commandments are not grievous. God's not asking us to, uh, God's not asking us to uh, do something that we cannot do. You know, God would never ask you to do something you cannot do. Because if God asks you to do something, he's going to help you do it, even if you couldn't do it physically. Even if you couldn't do it on your own, if God asks you to do something, he's going to help you do it. Uh, where God leads, God provides, and uh, God would never, God would never ask you to do something and not help you get the job done. Amen? He'd never do that. Why? Because if God's asking you to do it, and God's, if God's telling you to do it, then there is a reason behind that, and God's going to equip you and give you everything you need to get the job done. And so, we see this right here. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. Now, grievous has the same idea of something uh, uh, that is heavy, something that is overweight too. You remember back uh, uh, in the Gospels um, when the Lord Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you. Remember that verse? He says, Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you for my... For my, my yoke is easy, and my burden is what? Light. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, and, my, and, and my, my burden is light. Same idea right here. As Jesus was looking at the people, he's saying, Listen, you're following these Pharisees. They have all these grievous, heavy laws and, and all these things that they've got set for you to follow. It is grievous to you. It is heavy for you. You can't do it. He says, But listen, take my yoke upon you. Uh, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. You just live how I'm telling you to live. You do what I'm telling you to do, and I will empower you and equip you. Because what did, 
what, is, what, is, what, is, uh, what do we see in that verse? It has a picture of the Lord Jesus or the Holy Spirit of God yoking up with us as with oxen and helping us to pull the load. And so he's saying, listen, if I ask you to do it, you're not going to do it on your own. I will be there with you. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will empower you. You will not do it by yourself. But I tell you what, the devil sure is good about getting us to think that we're all alone, that we're all by ourselves, we're going to have to pull this load on our own. And, uh, and well, well, you ain't going to be able to take it no further, bud. This is it right here. You, you, you can't do this. And, but the Lord Jesus is saying, listen, I am right here with you. I can help you. You yoke up with me. I will help you pull this thing. Your, my, my, uh, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will be there for you to empower you and strengthen you to get done whatever it is to get done, to pull the load however far it needs to be pulled, to help you to get from point A to point B. There in verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. The things that God's asked us to do is not heavy-weighted. It's not grievous. It's not uh, something that uh, He's not asking us to do something that He's not even, that He's not willing to help us uh, to accomplish or get done. His commandments are not grievous. I know there's some folks that say, well, you know, when you become a Christian, you got you to give up the drugs and you got to give up the alcohol and you got to give up the party life and you got to give up all these things when you become a Christian. You know what I say? Good. Good. Who cares? Hey, if God wanted you to, he'd told you to do all that stuff. If God thought it was beneficial for you, he just said, hey, why don't you just go out and party and live it up? You didn't see him do that. If God thought it was good for you, he went ahead and just wrote it right there in the Bible. We wouldn't have to worry about it. He just said, listen, just go out there and just have a good time. Don't worry about nothing. Everything's going to be all right. Just live your life like you want to. Party up, drink it up, drug it up. You know, Be promiscuous, do all these things. You'll be just fine. Did he say any of that stuff? No, he did not. He told God's people to stay away from that garbage, to stay away from that mess, and I think that's what God's people ought to do. And uh, there in verse 3, he says that his commandments are not grievous. Listen, God's not asking us to do something that's not going to be for our benefit. God's not asking us to live in a way that's, that's going to that's gonna hurt us and harm us. He's, and God's telling us how to live because He wants the best for us. He wants our life to be fruitful. He wants it to be blessed. He wants it to be strengthened. He wants us to be victorious. He wants all these things for us. And that's what John's trying to get everybody to see. But as he's trying to tell everybody all this stuff, you got these clowns that are coming in the church and telling everybody that, listen, you can love God and you don't have to love Jesus. You can love God and you don't have to accept Christ. That's a bunch of baloney. I tell you what, if anybody ever stood up in this pulpit and said, you don't need to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, you just kick them right out the front door. Amen. Don't even let them finish the message. Just go ahead and grab them by the arm and throw them out. I think that's what we ought to do. I mean, that's, uh, that's blasphemous. So... There in verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. There in verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God, of course whatsoever, talking about people, whatsoever is a person. For whatsoever is born of God, born of God talking about someone who has accepted Christ as their Savior, they have been born again. 
Whosoever is born of God, so we're talking about a Christian who's been born again, what can this born-again Christian do as he is loving God like he should, as he has accepted Christ as his Savior, as he is keeping the commandments of the Lord and living for him, what is it that this person can do? The Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Hey, we overcome the world first. We overcome the world, uh, of course, by the fact that we got saved. Amen? I mean, that's one way we overcame the world is the fact that we got saved. How else do we overcome the world? I mean, uh, the very first thing that we did when we got saved, we overcome the world and we received victory over the world because we got saved. Our names are now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're no longer citizens of this place down here. We're now citizens of heaven. Praise God for that. Looking forward to going to the home country one of these days. And so now that we are uh, uh, citizens of heaven, the Bible says that we have now overcome the world. But that's not just about salvation. How else do we overcome the world? Well, we overcome the world through the power that he gives us and we're able to overcome uh, the lust of the Lusts of our heart, the, you know, the desires of our flesh. God gives us the strength and the power to overcome these things. We are able to overcome uh, bitterness and envy and uh, forgive, uh, unforgiveness and able to overcome all these different things, these challenges and obstacles that we face every day. All these giants that come our way that we face, that we battle with. Uh, all, these, uh, all these different things that, uh, that we can uh, get entangled in, uh, in, in our life. And of course, what does the Bible tell us in Timothy? The Bible tells us in Timothy not to be entangled with the, the, uh, with the affairs of this life. Don't get all tangled up. Don't get all, don't get all mixed up with the things down here. Why? Because I've given you victory. Don't get, go back and get all entangled up in that mess. I've given you the victory. He says there in verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. You are victorious. You're an overcomer. How many have ever seen that movie, Overcomer? Good movie. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, which means if you're saved and you're a child of God, then the Lord has given you the power and the ability to overcome whatever it is that you will face in this world. Hey, praise the Lord for that, that uh, our Father in heaven didn't just... And leave us, uh, leave us hopeless and destitute down here. But that he didn't just say, well, y'all just figure it out and do it the best way you can and hopefully I'll see you on the other side. No, he didn't do that. He saved us and he provides guidance and direction every day reaching down from heaven ready to hold our hand and guide us in every single way to guide our steps, doing everything he can to help us to be victorious, to overcome the world and everything that we face. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. In other words, whosoever is saved. You know, if you're saved here tonight, if you're saved here tonight, you have just as much power inside of you to overcome any obstacle in your life that I do. You know, don't just, don't just think, well, you know, it's only the preachers or the, uh, the evangelists or the missionary or whoever. It's only those people that can overcome the things of this world. No, listen, all of us can God's no respect to a person. The same, the same Jesus that lives inside of me is the same Jesus that lives inside of you. The same, the same power that I'm able to tap into to help me to be victorious is the very same power that you got yourself. And so all of us have the same power to overcome the world and the things that we face. Hey, there's lots of things. You know, it could be guilt, all kinds of things. You know, there's some people, 
uh, feel so guilty about things in their life, they just can't let it go. They can't let they uh, every day it haunts them. Every day the guilt of something from the past or whatever it is, it just haunts them day in and day out and day in and day out. And the devil won't let them have victory over it. Well, you know what? When you got saved, the Lord Jesus gave you uh, the ability to have victory over that stuff. So if Jesus forgave you, forgive yourself. Okay. If Jesus forgave you, forgive yourself. And I know that sometimes that's a little harder for us to do to forgive ourselves. But I'm just telling you, if Jesus forgave you and he's already put it behind him, then put it behind you and move on. Amen? I'm telling you, it'll help you. But whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And watch now. He says, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So how are we going to overcome the world? Our faith in Christ. Our faith in Jesus. Our faith in the power of his word. Our faith in who he is is going to help us to overcome this world. Now, not us. Now, we're not going to overcome this world in our own flesh. We're not going to overcome this world in our own strength. So how are we going to do it? How are we going to be victorious? I mean, the Bible just told us that, uh, that whatsoever is born of God uh, can, have, uh, is, it can overcome the world. And, notice, and then in the latter part of the verse, he says, and this is the victory. So how do we get victory? Uh, how do we have this victory that overcomes the world? He says the victory that overcomes the world is going to happen through your faith, through your faith in Christ, by trusting in him, by believing in him, not yourself, not no, not uh, anything that the world has to offer you, not the, best, uh, uh, not the best self-help book that's on the shelf that was written by whoever. And I'm not saying I'm necessarily against it, but just make sure it lines up with God. Amen. You know, there's good people out there. Just make sure it lines up with the Lord. But I'm just trying to get you to see that God's saying, listen, you can overcome the world, but one of the things that's going to help you to overcome the world is that you're going to have to believe me. Listen, I live and reside. I live and reside inside of you. And because I live and reside inside of you, you need to know that you're not going through this on your own. Whatever it is that you're fighting, whatever it is that you're battling, you're not doing this by yourself. So how are you going to have victory? I'm our, the power is already there. You just got to tap into it. The power is already there. You just have to trust me and believe me that I can help you to do it. And so, uh, how are we going to be victorious? How are we going to overcome the world? He says, it is our faith. And there in verse 4, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory. You know, I found it uh, interesting. Now, you may have heard this before. I don't know. But that word victory there, the Greek word for that is Nike, which is where you get the word Nike from. That's where you get the uh, Nike was a Greek god, and uh, he was the god of victory. And so the actual Greek word for victory right here is Nike, which is where you get the word Nike from. And what is, um, what is Nike's slogan? What was their slogan? It's got the check mark. Don't they have like a little, it means something. I'm sorry? Just do it? Is that what it is? Oh, I don't know. But anyways, and so we see there in verse 4 that, um, that we can have victory. Oh, that's, know where I was going with it now. Victory, they, Nike, is what? Shoes, right? And so they're like victory shoes. Does that make sense? Okay, all right, now let's go on. All right, here we go. Victory shoes. You put on these shoes and you can have victory. That's the whole idea. You wear this, you can have victory. I think that's kind of a little bit of an example of what we can see. We put our faith in Christ. We have victory. It's our faith. There, verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Comes right out there in verse 5 and just tells you. Who is he that overcomes the world? Who is the one that's going to be able to be victorious? 
uh, not just in salvation, but able to overcome the obstacles that come against them. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's guilt or whether it's things they're struggling with, addictions that they may be facing in their life. Who is he that can overcome the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. He didn't say that he that believeth in anything else that this world offered. He didn't say anything that you can believe in anything else that any other person in this world said, but only that he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Because when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you are saying, you are admitted that you are saying that you accept Christ as a Messiah, that you, uh, 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 and because you accept him as a Messiah and that he is the Son of God, that you are our saved, verse chapter 5 verse 1, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, there in verse 5 who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God and so that's how you get victory over the world it comes through Christ and Jesus said himself um, without me you can do nothing uh, also I believe in the book of John there in verse 6 this is he, the, uh, he there, talking about Christ, Jesus. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. And so there in verse 6, he says, This is he that came by water. Water is speaking of what? Now look, you've got the water and you've got the blood. We're talking about baptism. We're talking about sacrifice. Uh, this is what Jesus Christ did. He came, uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was baptized there in the river Jordan. And you remember whenever he was down there, what did you, uh, the Bible says when Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist, when he was down there, what did the Bible say? The Bible said that there was a voice in, in, from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And not only that, but the Bible also shows us that there was a, a, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And so he had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all right there together. He's tying it all in right here, trying to get everybody to see that uh, we, we see his baptism, which symbolizes cleansing and purity and righteousness. We see his blood, which, which signifies the sacrifice and the payment that he made for our sin. And then he says, uh, and notice he says, but not by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit, capital S, it is the Spirit that bears witness because the Spirit is truth. And who was there and who was present? Of course, whenever Jesus was baptized, of course, they all were. But the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, bears witness. The person, the third, the, uh, the third in the Trinity there, bears witness that Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit of God says Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who gave himself to die for the sins of the world. He is the Son of God. And the Spirit bears witness because the Spirit is truth. And God said he cannot lie. And the Spirit is bearing witness to what the truth is. And the truth is that Jesus came to die and give himself for the sins of all mankind. And he was fully God and fully man at the same time. There in verse 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father... That's God the Father, the Word, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, goes back to the book of John, there in the very first part of it where he's called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And so he's just telling them, listen, you can't have one without the other. They all come together 
And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of... And notice what he says there in verse 9. He says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. You know what he's, trying, you know what he's saying there in verse 9? He's saying, he said, listen, I'm trying to get you to see that God the Father and God the Son are the same, are, 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 are the same, are the one and the same. You can't have one without the other. You can't love one, not love the other. And he said, and the Holy Spirit of God is bearing witness to that very fact. And then he, I think it's interesting. He throws that, this out in verse 9. He says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Now think about this. He's in essence like he's saying, you know, you can go somewhere and accept another man's, another notable man or woman's opinion about something. I'll just use this, for, let's just say, for illustration's sake, let's just say a doctor. We go to the doctor and we accept the fact that they got a lot of experience in whatever area that we're there for. And we go to them and they do their examinations and they run their tests and they look at this and look at that. And then they say, okay, this is what your diagnosis is. This is how we can help you. And I think you'll be just fine. Uh, take two of these. Call me in the morning. Okay. And he says, you know what? You can go to the, uh, these, all these other people and you can listen to their witness. And you can, uh, uh, you can believe their expertise. How is it that you can believe all these other people and not believe the witness of God? How is it that you can believe what everybody else says, but you wouldn't believe what God says? Notice there in verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. What witness is he talking about? What, what, what's the witness of God? Well, the Holy Spirit who is witnessing that Jesus is the Son of God. So he's saying, listen, if you'll listen to what the, if you'll listen to what the experts tell you in this world and you'll believe them without any infallibility, infallibility at all, and you'll say, okay, this is what they said. I'll believe it. I'll trust it. I'll buy it hook, line, and sinker. He says, if you'll do that to sinful men out here in this world, then why won't you believe what God says? Why won't you trust what he says? Because he is greater in authority. He is greater in power. And if this is, and, and if the Holy Spirit is a bearing witness that Jesus is the Son of God, and the Holy and He is uh, the third person of the Trinity, He is God as well. And, and He says, and he says, if He's bearing witness to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, then why in the world wouldn't you believe it? Why wouldn't you believe it? You don't have any problem believing what he says. You don't have no problem believing what she says. You don't have no problem believing what they say. You don't have no problem believing what everybody else says. Why don't you believe what God says? Amen. I mean, you know, it's true. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll believe all these other things that people in the world tell us. But yet when God says something, we'll kind of, well, I don't know. I'm not so sure. And we'll throw doubt on it. Yep, God said it, God said it. He says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God, round this up, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. And who is that witness? That's the Holy Spirit, right? Goes back up to, goes back up to verse 6, and about the middle part of it, it says, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. And listen, when you get saved, you become a child of God. The Holy Spirit of God comes and lives and dwells within inside of you. And he says in verse 10, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. 
You have the Holy Spirit of God. And what does the Bible tell us in Ephesians that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes and seals himself inside of you. Lives and dwells and seals himself inside of you. And he that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record. Record, same idea, same really thing as witness. You believe not the record. And God gave his son. So if you're saying that you don't believe that the Lord Jesus is the Son of God, then you're calling God a liar and you're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. Verse 11, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And He, and he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so John finishes this little section of it right here and simply just saying that if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you can't accept Him, then you're not saved. And if you're not saved, that means you don't possess life. That means you don't have eternal life because he that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. He says, so what you need to make sure you do is you need to make sure that you're saved and that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and that he lives and dwells inside of you. And so, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Um, like I said, you don't have to have a uh, four-year degree to figure out what verse 12 says. It's self-explanatory. And um, uh, John's just wanting everybody to see, listen, you need to believe in who Jesus is. So much about this book that just coincides with... Um, uh, John and the Gospels. It's amazing. Uh, but anyway, so if that was a blessing to you, next week we'll go through verses 13 uh, to verse 21. And uh, I think that'll be exciting. So let's pray tonight. Father, we come to you this evening. Thank you once again, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your long suffering on us. Lord, we pray that you would just continue to help us in our Christian walk with you, help us to be victorious. Help us to see, as you have told us in your word tonight, that no matter what we face, no matter what we deal with in life, that because we're children of, of yours, that you have given us the ability and the power through you uh, to be victorious. And that we can overcome the things in the world, no matter what it is, no matter what temptation comes our way, no matter uh, what it is that we, we face in life, that we can be victorious. Help us, God, not to ever forget that. Lord, I pray once again as we get ready to leave that you keep everybody safe as we go home. Lord, as the storm comes in this evening and uh, early tomorrow morning and throughout the day tomorrow, I ask God that you just please keep everybody safe um, and that things will go well for us. And uh, We look forward to coming back here to our next appointed time on Sunday. And this we pray in Jesus' name.